You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. We appreciate being a part of your day. And what a day it is. As the markets reopen after being closed yesterday for President's Day, we're seeing the soybean market take a jump to the upside. We'll talk about what's going on there with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing here in just a moment. In segment two, we're going to check in with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. Folks, there's another blizzard taking aim at the northern Great Plains. John will fill us in on the who, what, where, when, and why. Before we get to segment three, and we check in with Ethan Lane, the vice president of governmental affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, about some of the action taking place in Congress already that could impact cattle producers. Folks, thanks for joining us today. Let's jump into this soybean market conversation. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing, joins us now. Chris, woof, quite a pop in the soybeans to start the week. Is this all related to that frost event in South America? Yes, sir. Um, you know, that's that was a big part of it. I, I think a lot of people thought it might even be a, a little bit higher. Um, we're currently up about 11 cents, 12 cents. We did gap higher. We have not filled that gap. All that means is there's a there's a, about a three cent gap from Friday's high to uh, last night's low on the reopening. So that'll be a level people will be watching that to see if we can come back and fill it. All in all, that's that the, the uh, surprise drought, you know, they went from 100 degree temps to freezing. Uh, now it's probably going to take a few more days before we really feel the impact and find exactly how much was lost. But um, that is the driver. And, you know, we've got March options expiring too this week. So you're going to get a little bit of uh, action there as well because of this uh, weather change. So, Chris, with this pop that we've seen already in soybeans, given the fact we don't yet know the impact, what's the trade guessing? This is just another hit to Argentina, but we weren't counting on much coming out of that country, are we? Right. No, we knew that they were going to be lower. We also know that Brazil is in the middle of harvest. Brazil's harvested 25% of their beans. Brazil has a record corn, uh, excuse me, a record soybean crop. And the, the next thing they're going to do is do the double crop, the safrina corn. That's big because that's that's really going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot riding on that second corn crop. But yeah, I think a lot of this has been discounted. That's probably why we're only up 10%, excuse me, 10%. We're only up 10 cents. Um, I think people were kind of hoping, bulls were hoping that we could go take out 15, 55 and maybe make a run at the summer highs. That remains to be seen. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are farmers that do have uh, beans in the bin. More, more farmers have corn in the bin. But this is an opportunity. If you want to clean up sales, um, you know, take advantage of it. I like selling into rallies. Or if you want to hold it, uh, you know, the defensive puts just got a lot cheaper. So it's kind of a, 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 a pretty good place to be in if you're long beans. If you're going to be taking a look at those defensive puts, what contracts would you be looking at, Chris? Well, Marches are too soon because they expire Friday. You want to be away from that. So you can do April or May. Uh, you can, in fact, if you want it to be just – you could do for weekly options too. So there are a lot of choices right now, uh, but that's for beans in the bin. Not a lot of farmers have beans in the bin from the guys that I've talked to across the country. Most farmers are sitting on more corn, but again, this is when you want to do it. It's a, a, a put, a defensive put. It's a substitute sale. If, if beans go higher, you can sell higher, but you are capturing, you know, this bump in revenue. Capturing that bump in revenue is the name of the game. And Chris, we've seen a big bump in prices, at least on soybean meal as well after this drought in Argentina. Where does meal go from here if Argentinian production keeps getting cut back? It's going to continue to probably uh, rally. You know, we're watching the 500 level. It's a very big level in March. And then now we're going to be rolling into May. So that March, May, that's a big psychological level. Um, we're nearing eight-year highs. You can go back and look at meal for, for a decade. Anything north of 500 is is an extremely good price. Again, so if you're, um, it's a double-edged sword. If you're if you're a producer, you're happy. If you're an end user, I've told my told my end users, this is when you want to be on hand to mouth. This is not when you want to be making a big big uh, outlays and buying a lot of meal. If you do, then you you have to be in the same situation you are. If you're long corner beans, you need to have a floor under it. The worst thing to do right now to be buy a bunch of meal and then watch meal correct. 
So I would say if you're an end user, stay hand to mouth. If you're a producer, let's see if we can stay above this 500 level. Historically, it's been a really good level to sell. Given that's the play, the case, we've got this $500 mark sitting in front of us in meal. We've got no CFTC data. Chris, as far as I am aware, yes. do we know how big of a player the non-commercials are in the meal space right now. Do we have any guess? Well, three weeks ago, they were record long and trend followers add to winners. So, you know, we've had a couple key reversals, which have kind of fizzled out. All key reversals is something that will trigger some chart traders to try and sell. I think these guys are still long. I think they're going to be rolling their March into May. I would watch that. Right now, they will stay long until there's a reason for them to not be long. Um, but again, it's uh, it's a powerful force. And we should be getting updated, I believe, this week. We haven't had commitment to traders for three weeks now because of some issues with the uh, CFTC and their, and their website. I'm not going to go down that route. But hopefully this week we'll find out. It's very important to know how these guys are bet. It, it makes a big difference in the the, uh, the price levels that we see. It certainly does. It certainly does. Hopefully we'll get that data back from the CFTC here before too long. Chris, while we've got you, I want to turn the focus over to the corn market, that old crop corn in particular, with that large safrina crop going in the ground down in South America. Is this time to start unloading some of that risk? Well, you know, we've been in a kind of a downward trend in spot corn. We can't get above 688 for three months. So the good thing is we've also held about around 670. So we're kind of hanging fire, that old expression from the Revolutionary War, you light the cannon and nothing's happening. Um, I would say this, we're, you're in a good place to be. It's certainly uh, nice to be looking at spot corn, you know, close to $7. A lot of people want to hold out for that $7 level. I would say I've got no problem with you holding on to it, seeing if we get that level. And uh, you can go week to week or month. You can do a monthly put. Again, you want to keep a floor under that revenue because we've seen how these markets can turn suddenly. You don't want to leave a big chunk on the table because somebody said something at three o'clock in the morning. That's so true. These things can swing up and bite us. Chris, are you getting concerned at all about getting new crop sales on the books, at least on the corn side? You know, corn has got to get above 611. There's a there's a 100-day, 2-day moving average out there. That's probably a good level we're going to fight over here. I'm impressed with the fact that we're looking at $6 corn and $14 beans. The market's telling you that it wants those those markets to be bid. I've been doing this for 30 years. The price is what matters. And right now, there is something there that's keeping new crop corn and beans bid. It's a good thing for producers. We're almost at done with February. We're going to get the insurance prices. This could be a, you know, a great way to enter the 2023 season. Um, again, can we get above 640? That's probably going to be the, the big litmus test for corn bowls. 640 was that... October high where we kind of fizzled from. That's the level I think we'll be fighting on here uh, as we head through March. All right. With December 23 currently sitting at 594, we've got a potential move to the upside here coming. We've been speaking today with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. And Chris, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, sir. Have a good week. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to dig into this pending blizzard for the Northern Plains with John Baranek of DTN Weather. Leave it here for more AOA coming up right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Mosaic is introducing two new biological products, Biopath and PowerCoat. We're digging into the details of those with Ross Bender. He's the director of new product development at the Mosaic Company. Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, there has been an awful lot of interest in biologicals these days. Ross, why do you think that trend continues to rise among farmers? We believe that unlocking the performance of the crop nutrition investments a farmer makes is possible by exploring the biological space. And we believe partnering those technologies together with your tried and true mineral nutrition sources is a really key component to maximizing that investment. And we're calling that advanced crop nutrition. How does Mosaic think about biologicals? Soils are complex. Crop nutrition is complex. There are a variety of biological and physical and chemical attributes to that. And we too 
think that a holistic approach should be applied to how we manage crop nutrition. Ross, before we let you go, if there are farmers out there who have never looked very closely at biologicals, what's your message to them here in 2023? My recommendation to a grower is to start to become comfortable with them. At the very least, start learning. I'm a grower myself. I farm a little bit in East Central Wisconsin. And I have to admit, I am learning at the same time. But ultimately, my goal is to maximize the impact of the investment that I make in my crop nutrition program. And I believe that harnessing the power of biology to unlock the potential of the chemistry and the physical properties of our soil is absolutely critical. So I would encourage growers to take a spirit of curiosity approach here and and be a student of the crop and be a student of the science to see what you can learn and try somewhere, start somewhere. Uh, exploring the utilization of biologicals into your production system. Ross, where can our audience go to learn more about biologicals here at Mosaic? My favorite place to go to learn more is a website called cropnutrition.com. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're taking a look at the weather. Folks, it is February, and it is, of course, we talk to a lot of folks in the northern Great Plains, which means it's winter, and it means another blizzard is bearing down on our friends up north. Joining us for the details is John Baranek, DTN Ag Meteorologist. John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, and I don't know if I can say it's good to be with you here today, Mike. This is just going to be a crazy storm we're going to have to talk about here for the week. Well, and it hits home for you, John, of course, from Minnesota. Boy, talk us through. This is, uh, we're talking on Tuesday. This system is developing in the Dakotas. Where does it move throughout the day here on Tuesday? Yeah, you can really draw three different pieces of energy that are going to move through the country here this week. And they all just kind of are so close together. It almost looks like one big storm. Uh, We've got the first piece right now going through the Dakotas. That's going to slide through southern Minnesota and into Wisconsin here later today and tonight. Um, we've got a pretty decent uh, band of snow that's expected with that kind of a four to eight incher with it. Not bad for this time of year, even. Um, there's another piece of energy down in the four corners area, and that will be moving its way kind of northeast and trying to join up with that uh, tomorrow. And then there's a third piece back that's going through the western states that will move in right behind that one uh, by about 12 hours or so and uh, continue the, the whole system. Um, it it's really a mess. Um, if you look at the upper levels and, and even at the surface about, you know, all the things that are going on, but what's amazing about this system. And I'll talk about the details in a second is how consistent models have been over the course of the last week. I was looking at this last week around this time and thinking, Oh, okay, that looks interesting. Usually a week out, uh, models are, are pretty, well off and they kind of move around and do stuff. But I was amazed every day I looked at it last week and then through the weekend, they all said the same thing. And I'm thinking, oh no, here we go. So um, yeah, impacts, we got the snow across the North here for today. Uh, We'll get some thunderstorms moving across the uh, central and Southern plains here tonight into the uh, Southern Midwest uh, for Wednesday. Um, We could see some pretty heavy rain out of that, especially across portions of Illinois. We might see some flooding with that. And then we really see the big wrap up. We get tap into some very Arctic cold air moving in behind that. 
And that third piece really bumps up the snowfall potentials here, uh, going from Wyoming almost straight east through South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan. And uh, these areas here are going to see some hefty amounts, very heavy snowfall rates. So we can see looking at two to three inches an hour out of some of this. And when it's all said and done, I think the winter is unfortunately going to be me where we could be up to two feet of snow with this sucker. So um, it's a it's a big one in terms of snowfall. Just it's Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's a big one in terms of snowfall, John, and I understand we've already got blizzard warnings out. So wind must also be an issue with this storm as well. That's right. So um, not only the snow and the rain that I talked about, even in between, there might be a band of freezing rain uh, from Iowa, uh, kind of eastward through southern Michigan. And then you're right. The, the, the winds are going to pick up quite a bit with this system here. Um, and we are looking at blizzard conditions wherever the snow's fallen pretty much from the uh, northern plains through the upper Midwest. So, uh, yeah, it's it's big. And then I mentioned the the cold blast that comes in behind it. Some of these temperatures here in the northern plains are going to be 30 to 40 degrees below normal. Uh, so well below zero um, for overnight lows. And it might struggle to get up above zero for a couple of days here for highs. Luckily, those uh, uh, cold temperatures are going to be brief and we warm up for the weekend. But this uh, it's a nasty week of weather. It is. It's a nasty week of weather. So we've got the blizzard, the high snow coming across the northern plains, South Dakota, Minnesota, parts of Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan. You mentioned, John, that piece of energy coming across on Wednesday into Thursday, the possibility of thunderstorms. Of course, I talked to my friends in Missouri. They have been dealing with mud nonstop, really, since uh, since harvest came to a close. How much rain are you expected to see across the uh, the southern plains here with these storms yeah so a lot of the rain that comes with these thunderstorms it'll be kind of developing um, across texas and oklahoma so those areas might not get more than an inch uh, but once it reaches kind of uh, missouri down to through arkansas we're looking at one to two inches of rain uh, kind of moving its way northeast uh, north of the ohio river then uh, for wednesday night into thursday there is a potential here uh, for some parts of kind of north central Illinois to pick up two to three inches of rain and cause some uh, additional flooding concerns there. Oh, man. OK, so that is accelerating. John, I pulled up the the weather all hazards map, letting us know of the different risks that are out there on the, the forecast front. And it's very lit up out west. Are we expecting any trend, uh, systems to make their way onto the west coast here over the next week? Well, it's really the the third part of that system moving through the West here, um, you know, the first one's already is, is escaped them. The, the second one is kind of moving through the four corners area, maybe producing some winds here today and tomorrow. Um, but it's that third piece that's really diving through the entire Western states and just bringing widespread precipitation. Some of that being heavy snow, um, especially in the, uh, uh, the Rockies, the Intermountain West, not so much uh, for the, the West coastal areas that we've seen kind of, get lit up here uh, recently or in the last couple of months, but uh, it's, it's widespread precipitation and uh, strong winds through a lot of the Western states as well. All right. Should continue to see more alleviation of that drought here on the drought monitor for the West. Uh, geez, I would believe so. I mean, they, they, they they've had quite a bit over the winter season and um, honestly with this system here, and, and we're looking at another system coming in for Friday into California and kind of moving into the plains next week. Uh, we'll get more precipitation down there in the southwest as well. So things, again, looking up for for the, the western states in terms of the drought. John, I did just pull up the drought monitor to take a look, and it looks like the remaining hardest hit area of drought remains in that southwest Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma panhandle area. That system coming through the four corners going to give them any relief, get those pastures greened up here, that wheat uh, growing? Yeah, not really. Not the one that's coming through this week. Um, a lot of that misses. Um, it kind of pushes off. And then once it gets clear of that area, it starts picking up the moisture and uh, starts developing showers. We will be uh, talking about the one for next week, though, the one that I mentioned that goes through California over the weekend and into the southwest. Um, that's going to move into the southwestern states for kind of Sunday or in, into Monday. And that one could be some more widespread precipitation, including heavy thunderstorms. Um, you know, those are kind of streaky, though, as they go through that, that part of the plains, usually. So it might not hit everywhere, everywhere, but uh, there's some uh, potential for that. There's another one that looks like it might occur later next week as well. So the, the whole U.S. really stays active, and at least there's some chances out there for, for those folks out in drought to get at least a little bit of precipitation here going into early March. 
Fingers crossed for those folks suffering from that drought. John, I want to take us down to South America. We've got weather news from Argentina moving the markets here to start the week, and it's this news of a frost. Can you talk to us what happened down there in Argentina? Fill us in on the weather side of the issue. Absolutely. It totally took me by surprise. Like I had no idea it could get that cold this time of year. Cause if we flip the calendar, since they're on the Southern half, uh, uh South of the equator, you know, this is like mid August to them, uh, kind of to put that into, you know, relationship here and, um, where they sit there in Argentina is like Oklahoma or Tennessee. So getting a frost in Oklahoma and Tennessee in mid August, I mean, that wouldn't even cross my mind. So it took me totally by surprise. I was not thinking that would be entirely possible, but we did see it uh, kind of widespread through the area. There's still questions about how much damage it may or may not have caused. Uh, we'll have to keep our eye on that. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely a cold morning there uh, this last Saturday. And John, how long were the temperatures below freezing? Do we have good weather data from rural Argentina about that sort of thing? I don't. I don't know if there's any others that do, but kind of the, the main weather stations that are out there kind of in the cities that didn't last that long, maybe a couple of hours. So it might not have made um, uh, for a whole lot of damage there. But uh, again, we'll just have to see. All right, John, can this tell us anything about the remainder of the growing season in Argentina? Does a frost this early portend uh, an early killing frost? Not that I'm aware, although we are in La Nina still. And uh, that does tend to happen in June rather than or May and June instead of June and July for Argentina, uh, just because it's um, just because it's La Nina conditions. So we may still have to uh, watch out for some of those issues cropping up as well. A lot of their crops, of course, were planted real late because of the drought. Um, and if the frosts come early, that might be another uh, another hit to them down in Argentina. They just cannot catch a break in that country at all. No, they can't. It's been a tough growing season. John, you mentioned we're still in a La Nina. Are we getting close to a neutral categorization of the NSL? We are. So it uh, we kind of crossed an important milestone last week where we uh, on the weekly map looks uh, more like neutral conditions. We're building some warmer waters off the South American coast. But um, when we talk about the actual numbers, we take kind of a monthly or a three monthly average. So it's going to take a little bit of time to fully get out of that those conditions there so um i expect that to happen sometime in march or maybe even early april all right progress continues as we march back towards a la nina or an el nino rather from a la nina atmospheric setup folks we have been talking with john baranek of dtn weather john always appreciate your insight thanks for joining us today thanks for having me hopefully everybody out there can handle the snow that's right. Stay safe. You're going to be out in that blizzard and stay tuned. We'll be talking with Ethan Lane of NCBA here when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we come out of the three-day holiday weekend, we see strength in soybeans, bean meal, and in the hog market as well. In the case of this soy complex, we got reports over the weekend, social media lit up with pictures of frost in Argentina. Now, a frost event did occur, but it's still unknown how widespread the event actually was, how much production was lost due to the frost versus the ongoing drought, which is intensifying again here over the next couple of weeks. A 10-day forecast, very dry in Argentina. 
Argentina. We know we already have production problems in Argentina and a big crop in Brazil. Mato Grosso should be 60% harvested by week's end. It's just a matter of how the two balance each other out. But for now, we are seeing a bit of a pop here in our soybean and bean meal market. Bean oil just slightly mixed here on the session. Quarter wheat relatively mixed here. Little news to drive those markets. They're just kind of trading around unchanged here as we come out of the holiday weekend on Tuesday. We'll be watching to see what happens uh, in that corn and wheat market throughout the day. Now, the hog market couldn't get much going Friday, but I tell you what, hogs off to an impressive start on Tuesday with cutouts on Friday showing an impressive gain of $5.63, and we saw that bellies led the charge on Friday up $25.03. That is having a positive influence on trade activity here on Tuesday with triple-digit strength across the board here in the hog market. Cattle trade is a little bit more mixed here, a little bit more quiet and tempered as we try to get new show lists out and wait to see what we'll have for activity in the cattle market here this week and in cash country as well. Stock market under pressure. The Dow down over 400 points at last check as we'll get more economic data out this week in the minutes from the latest Federal Reserve meeting out on Wednesday. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Back to ladies and gentlemen to AOA as we continue today, and we are going to continue with our focus on the cattle market. Joining us next is Ethan Lane. He's the Vice President for Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, keeping track of everything that happens in Washington, D.C. that could impact the cattle trade. And Well, Ethan, that's got to keep you plenty busy. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you again, Mike. I'd like to kick things off with a topic that was hot last summer and has cooled off a bit, but I've got a feeling it's making a comeback. And this is the SEC Climate Disclosure Rule. Ethan, this was proposed by the SEC. It would impact cattle producers. Could you fill us in, remind us on how it would impact the ag industry? You bet. This is uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, sort of attempting to rebrand themselves as a climate regulator, um, asking for those uh, emissions reporting numbers from not just traditional sources, but um, really everybody in a supply chain that could be sold through a publicly traded company. So think everyone down to the farm and ranch level, um, up through that through that scope three portion of those those different categories of reporting um, would be subject to uh, a lot of scrutiny over um, sources of emissions that, that quite frankly, a lot of times uh, can't even be tracked um, in an open air environment. So. Uh, extremely detrimental for cattle producers, extremely detrimental for agriculture generally, um, and something that we're watching the SEC reevaluate um, in real time. We keep hearing stories about, um, I, you know, I, I, SEC sort of revisiting this during the rulemaking, trying to figure out how to narrow it back, uh, promises to protect agriculture um, from being, uh, you know, harmful, harmed here or, or uh, you know, adversely affected, but still the rule in its current form uh, would be largely problematic for, for agriculture. So we're seeing Capitol Hill really respond to that and put a few pieces of legislation out, reintroduced uh, to try to protect uh, agriculture from, uh, from the impacts of this, uh, of this overreach. 
Absolutely. I did see that Gary Gensler of the SEC mentioned that nearly 15,000 comments were made when this rule was proposed. Certainly, it doesn't sound like a lot of them were in favor of it. And as you mentioned, uh, the fact that this could still go through means it's important to have some sort of oversight above the SEC. And uh, John Bozeman introduced a piece of legislation. Fill us in. How would his piece work? So there's a couple pieces of legislation that have been introduced on this. Bozeman's is is the most specific. Uh, he's been working with Frank Lucas uh, from Oklahoma on the House side. Uh, this is a reintroduction of their Protect Farmers from the SEC Act. And it would basically just exclude agriculture from reporting those scope three or supply chain greenhouse gas emissions under the SEC's proposed rulemaking, um, which would sort of uh, fulfill Gary Gensler's promise that agriculture is not going to be in the crosshairs. This is uh, the ranking member of the Agriculture Committee saying, let us help you with that by just preventing you um, from, from hurting agriculture with this rule. All right. And you mentioned it is the it's the most uh, pointed rule towards this end. What are we hearing from Capitol Hill? How are new Congress folks uh, adjusting to this piece of legislation? Ethan, do you think it has enough legs to get across the finish line? Well, this is something that they heard about a lot on the campaign trail, particularly those members of Congress from farm country. Um, so they came in pretty aware of the stakes here. Um, I think that's why you're seeing the SEC hedge a little bit, or at least talk about hedging, um, because they they recognize that they really, really flopped on, on rolling this thing out. And, it, and boy, it hit most of the economic community just dead wrong. Um, so, you know, this is not a this is not a difficult lift on the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, to, to sort of uh, uh, educate folks about why this is problematic. Um, I think we're going to see that in, in folks embracing uh, that piece of legislation, as well as Senator Thune's bill, uh, the uh, Food and Energy Security Act, which would, uh, would require an economic impact of, of what it would cost uh, the supply chain to comply with something like this. All right. So we've got those two pieces of legislation Congress is considering. Meanwhile, SEC still pressing ahead in some form or fashion. Ethan, have they given us an estimation of when their final rulemaking could come out? Oh, that's the fun of the rulemaking process, Mike, is, is once they get these comment periods done, um, you know, it's kind of anyone's guess. With this many comments to analyze, 15,000 public comments, um, that, that, that the America, the uh, Administrative Procedures Act that, that governs how they go through this process requires them to review those and, and comment on the substantive ones. That's going to take some time, but also, you know, it, it's going to take some time for them to kind of figure out how they avoid another big backlash when this final rule comes out and the litigation that you can expect might come along with it uh, if they miss the mark. So um, that could be months. Uh, it could be a year. They don't have to do anything in any in any certain time frame. Uh, now that they're through that comment period. All right. So the pressure's on to get that legislation across, protect farmers that way before the SEC starts to push out that final rule. Ethan, while we've got you on the line, another massive topic in the animal industry writ large continues to be diseases and keeping everything safe. To that end, I understand we saw APHIS make a purchase here for the uh, National Animal Vaccine and Veterinary Countermeasures Bank. Can you fill us in on what they're doing? Yeah. First, I want to hear you say that five times fast. Um, no, the, yeah, the, the National Animal Vaccine and Veterinary Countermeasures Bank is that first line of defense for us. That's what we commonly refer to as the FMD vaccine bank. Uh, that is where we're building up that stockpile of vaccines and test kits in order to respond in the case that there is an FMD outbreak or ASF uh, in, the, in the hog industry um, or any of those dangerous diseases that could impact uh, our food supply chain here in the United States. Um, this is money coming out of the last farm bill, the 2018 farm bill. Um, that is uh, uh, intended to really build up that bank and make sure we're prepared. Um, you know, we talk about a lot the fact that this isn't an if kind of thing with FMD, it's a when. So we want to make sure that we have all the pieces in place to respond as quickly as possible and to to stamp anything out were it to, uh, were it to someday reach American soil. We're seeing those outbreaks in other parts of the world. Um, this is something we spend a lot of time paying attention to, and we're pleased to see APHIS moving forward, stocking that bank up, not just with vaccine, but with test kits as well, uh, so that we're ready in case the uh, unthinkable happens. Absolutely. But as you mentioned, Ethan, this funding for these test kit purchases came from the 2018 Farm Bill. And of course, that's hot right now as we prepare to renegotiate this 2023 Farm Bill. Where does vaccine and countermeasures fit for NCBA in this next negotiation? Well, that's right at the top of the list of items that we're paying attention to. You know, we're looking at risk management, we're looking at uh, conservation programs, but that that cattle health component and making sure that this bill adequately funds these programs to continue the work that APHIS is doing um, in building up this countermeasures bank. 
uh, is, is critically important. You know, we're in a resource deprived environment in this farm bill. We all know that we've heard about it for months. There's not enough money to go around. This one is not one we can skimp on. Uh, and it's also in the grand scheme of things, a really small amount of money uh, in the larger context of a trillion dollar farm bill. This isn't the one to save money on. We need to make sure this is fully funded uh, so that we are adequately prepared and, and ready uh, in case we do see an outbreak on U.S. soil. Absolutely. If we see that outbreak, all of a sudden the export rules change suddenly and these expenses look tiny when considered to uh, compared to the size of our total market here globally for U.S. beef. Ethan, Farm Bill, those conversations are ramping up. As you mentioned, Congress is back in session. Got a lot of new members going on. Has anybody popped their head up as, uh, as somebody we need to watch quite yet or is the education game still uh, the main focus? You know, I think right now, rightfully so, eyes are on those leaders of the Farm Bill conversation. G.T. Thompson in the House, Debbie Stabenow in the Senate, John Bozeman, the ranking member in the Senate, uh, David Scott in the House, but also uh, returning leaders like Frank Lucas, who has who's done a Farm Bill before as chairman of the Ag Committee, coming back to the committee. Uh, that's going to be critically important as well. We also have a lot of new freshman members who are coming in with a lot of eyes on fiscal discipline. Um, a lot of them in the conservative end of the universe view this bill uh, as a, a, a large or too large expenditure. So a lot of agriculture is, is spending time right now educating those new members, helping them understand the different components of a farm bill, why these programs are important for farmers and ranchers in their districts around the country. Um, that's going to be a real focus here in the initial stages of this. Not only are they having those hearings to look back on how the 2018 farm bill programs are performing, but a lot of outreach right now and, and uh, uh, a lot of data going up to the hill to help folks understand why we need these programs, why we need to make sure that we're, we've got them fully funded and that they're, they're operating. And, and, you know, for every piece of agriculture, that looks a little different. Uh, you know, the, the, the cattle industry doesn't have any of those really large, uh, you know, safety net programs, but we do have risk management tools that we like. We do have um, those conservation programs, those voluntary programs that are critical for producers. Um, so we want to make sure we're, we're painting a full picture of why those are so important. Absolutely. It's so crucial to make sure that these incoming legislators understand the impact of the legislation they are crafting. Well, to that end, let's let's focus back on D.C. You mentioned, of course, the, the Boozman bills. Uh, we've got the Thune bill. We've also got the reintroduction, Ethan, of the uh, Cattle Market Transparency and Price Discovery Act from uh, Senators Grassley and others. Has that bill changed any before this reintroduction? It hasn't. It's it's kind of the same old bill we've seen uh, essentially in one form or another for the last 25 or 30 years from Senator Grassley. Um, and, and the third round of this most recent iteration, uh, basically going back to the beginning of COVID, um, the bill hasn't changed. Basically the same list of supporters um, of that bill. Uh, you know, we don't expect that to get much running room in this Congress. The market has really moved on. The conversation has moved on. There's a lot more focus on things like the cattle contract library, which is already in pilot form over at USDA, other methods of making sure we have that transparency and market access information um, out for producers to utilize. Um, by and large, we've just we've just had enough conversation in the industry. I think the, the vast majority of cattle producers around the country aren't interested in the government intervening uh, in the free market. So, uh, you know, it's, it's probably an idea that's passed its prime, but those those members that believe in it, um, are, are certainly, you know, going to keep reintroducing those bills. That's something we see at the beginning of every new Congress, uh, kind of those pet project bills from members around the country get reintroduced. And, and uh, uh, it's kind of a, a tradition, uh, you know, once every two years in the, in the winter and early spring around here in Washington. Yeah, that's true. It has been floating around in D.C. for a while. We'll see what comes in this next year, folks. We have been talking with Ethan Lane. He's the Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA here when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I 
first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Paul Stevenson, Senior Risk Management Consultant with Nationwide, about how to keep you and your family safe around stored grain. Paul, what are the primary risks to safety around on-farm grain storage? Probably the biggest thing that kind of jumps out at me is the entrapment issue around grain structures. Farmers today, I, I, I get it. We go quickly, right? There's a lot of things that are happening. And so therefore we need to get things done very, very quickly. And a lot of times we go into grain structures by ourselves that if the grain is not in good condition could cause an entrapment. And that's really what Grain Bend Safety Week, the advocacy program that I work with really centers around those entrapments. But you can't forget about the electrical safety issues the possibility of having something else happen around the farm, like getting wrapped up into a, a PTO shaft, many of those things. And I, I'm not just talking about just the parents, the owners of the farm. I'm also thinking a lot about children because children do play a part in every family farm, as well as, you know, the people that we hire to come in and help us on a daily basis, make the farm operation be successful. Paul, with that being the case, the fact that there are families on these farm operations, what can they do to stay safe around stored grain? I think number one is really know your grain condition that you have in the grain storage structure. If we don't keep our grain in condition, then that means is, is that it's going to start to degrade and we're going to have problems. And typically that problem with that grain is the reason why we have to go in to a grain structure. We've been talking with Paul Stevenson, Senior Risk Management Consultant for Nationwide about Grain Bin Safety Week. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And thanks again to CHS for being such a great partner to Nationwide and Grain Bin Safety Week. We really, really appreciate that. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. For this next last segment, we're going to take a look at the markets, not the commodity markets, though. We're going to take a look at the equity markets. If you've been following John Deere and company, this morning, John Deere shares came within $9 of their all-time high. They're up 6.1% in the overnight as John Deere raised their profit expectations for the first quarter. They have good news for their investors earlier this year. In fact, just a month ago in January, John Deere estimated that their first quarter income would be between eight and eight and a half billion dollars. However, strong demand as 2023 kicked off means just a month after issuing that expectation, John Deere came out yesterday and they said they believe their income for the first quarter now to fall somewhere between 8.75 and nine and a quarter billion dollars. A lot of this comes down to strong pricing and very strong demand. Of course, farmer demand has been leading the plate as high horsepower tractors have been moving off the board, but also construction demand has been very, very strong as both home building and commodity construction gets back underway. The, the company's equipment sales were up 34% quarter over quarter, while its production and precision ag division saw the most growth. They saw quarterly sales jump 55% year over year as John Deere continues to expand into autonomous planting and more data collection um, attributes. <laughs> this was fascinating to me. Spraying, the spray technology that John Deere has seen in spray is the one that comes to mind. Operating profit in the production and precision ag division of John Deere, which is where all of that sort of technology falls, their operating profit rose 308% from a year ago. And they noted that prices for the segment will likely increase 14% as demand from farmers remains solid. Dealers are optimistic. John Deere corporate is optimistic. And they are watching the supply chain get back together and they are improving output at their facilities. <laughs> Another quick note, construction and forestry segment sales rose 26% year over year. 2022 was not a bad time to be in the equipment manufacturing game. However, it was a really bad time to be in the poultry business as bird flu has continued to spread around the world it's changing the way countries look at animal health. We talked with Ethan Lane there about the importance of FMD tracing and that vaccine bank. Should we have an outbreak of foot and mouth disease here in the U.S. to have that medicine handy, get it into livestock, and hopefully cull the outbreak before it starts to spread too far? Well, there is a vaccine for HPAI, that highly pathogenic avian influenza. However, it hasn't really penciled to vaccinate these birds because that throws off the export regime. Many countries out there refuse to allow a vaccinated poultry into their country for a number of different reasons. But now, as HPAI continues to spread, those countries are starting to change their minds. We're hearing in Europe, notably, and also in China, HPAI vaccinations are starting to be approved. Right now, it's happening with layers. Um, across Europe, France is looking to make this change. In China, they have been vaccinating their layers for several years. And apparently, you know, as near as we can tell, they're having less of an issue with HPAI than those of us here in the United States or in Europe. But the U.S. is not very excited about vaccination. And for us, it's because of the export game. Despite the hit that HPAI has put on both the layer and the broiler industries, as well as turkey, it just isn't quite worth the risk to add vaccines to every bird, which have to be shot individually, and then still try to export it. But do expect to hear more about HPAI vaccinations as this moves forward. As folks grow concerned about this disease, they are starting to worry that maybe going to have to take a different approach. And, well, the fears are, are real. Chilean authorities reported earlier this week that they have detected the first case of HPAI, so that's that bird flu, in a non-bird. Uh, they've caught it in a marine mammal. Basically, a 500-pound sea lion was found stranded on a beach in northern Chile with respiratory problems. They ran the test. They pulled some samples and ran the test, and they discovered that, yeah, it's got HPAI. So there are concerns about as HPAI continues to spread, becomes endemic to the world, they might well have to start vaccinating all of those birds individually. 
One place we're seeing a lot of that poultry go and pork is China. And there have been questions in the economy. How is China going to react now that they're rolling back those COVID-19 shutdowns, those lockdowns that have been in place for three years? And so far, the data in China hasn't been all that encouraging. We've continued to see people stay home. The outbreaks of COVID have spread. We don't quite know what the death count is. Uh, you know, the Chinese government puts out a number, but uh, I don't know if anybody really truly believes it. However, this past Last week, now that people are back from that Lunar New Year holiday in China, their big week off celebration, they're coming back and data is starting to show they're moving again in China. China tracks congestion in their major cities. And for the first time in three years last week, congestion across major Chinese cities was higher than it was in all of 2022. We've spoken with a lot of our friends in the protein export business, and they're optimistic for that Chinese restaurant industry to make a return. But in order for it to come back, we have to see people out traveling and willing to go to those restaurants. The good news from China is that potentially the data looks like they are starting to travel further and further. Before we go for the day, folks, we are going to be hearing a lot about carbon pricing over the next couple of years. We're going to see a lot of farmers get opportunities to manage their carbon. And a lot of folks say the carbon price that they get paid for sticking that carbon in the ground isn't quite worth it. It doesn't quite pencil. However, those carbon prices can fluctuate. And on Thursday, excuse me, Tuesday, it was announced that the price of carbon in the European Union hit 100 euros per ton for the first time time ever. That market has been trading since 2005. And as the EU puts more emphasis on going green, the price of that carbon is rising. These markets change, folks. They're worth learning about today. They don't catch you short if and when they do start to explode. Be sure to join us again for AOA tomorrow. We'll dig in more deeply to the ag industry and the issues that are moving it. Thanks for listening today, folks. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.